0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Some of you have been here now for six days or so of practice, and some others for about 16 or so days. And uh, perhaps you can relate to the phenomenon of checking out yogis around you, the comparing mind, and seeing how you're doing. How am I doing? <clears throat> Some yogis around you might seem really impressive, <clears throat> just incredibly meticulous or sometimes they might seem a bit too much come on get off it huh? (laughs) just relax others around might seem very relaxed and natural boy I wish I went through the day like that or even sloppy that comparing mind runs rampant on retreats, and it's not so different from the comparing mind that we go around with in our our daily life. I remember uh, one retreat, be doing lifting, moving, placing, and I'd be all by myself and be quite uh, diligent about it, going going pretty slowly, and then somebody would come into the room. And all of a sudden, there was a whole different reason for going slowly. And the label would change. I found myself after a while saying, looking good, looking good. You know? <laughs> How much effort is the right amount? How much should I be doing? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? I wanted to talk about this tonight and uh, address some facets of of effort you hear different messages at different times from teachers even the same teacher might say different things uh, at different times or seeming contradictory messages sometimes what you hear sitting there as the instructions are given is be impeccable. Use this precious opportunity. Just every moment counts. Don't waste this precious time. Then another time, you might hear a different communication coming across. Relax. Be receptive. Nothing to do. Just allow the experience to unfold naturally. So that might stir up the mind quite a bit when you're relaxed and somebody says, be impeccable, or when you're really getting in there and they're saying, just relax, allow. And this is an issue, it's been an issue for me over the years and for many yogis. It's a basic issue of practice. Just what does right effort mean? It's one of the links of the Eightfold Path. First, just to, to look at what we bring to the retreat, our habits as we go about in our daily life, and our concepts about right effort. In particular, one facet of effort that I'd like to, to talk about for a little while is the Difference between the doing mode and the being. Outside in the busy day-to-day world, being doesn't get much airplay. You know, doing it seems to be where it's at. People seem often more secure in doing, the doing mode. If you work hard, you'll get results. And there's a certain carry over from, whether it's the Protestant ethic, or the Jewish guilt, or whatever lineage you you come from, that somehow productivity is your measure of worthiness. If I'm producing a lot, then I must count. And the thought of just being is very hard, even when we're just relaxing and we allow ourselves time to relax. remember when I was a, a kid and it would be a, a really beautiful day out and I just feel like relaxing and hanging out. I'd either hear the message from, from my parents or internalize it inside, don't waste this beautiful day. How can you just sit around there while it's a beautiful day outside? Sometimes I'd enjoy it when it was raining, so I just didn't have to go out there and have fun. And as I grew older, remember in my, uh, in my 20s, I lived alone for some time. And uh, the thought of nothing to do was kind of scary. If I had some space on Thursday afternoon or evening, I had to think of something I could do to fill it up. Uh, Call up this person, make this appointment. And I would start my to-do lists during that that era. And somehow, I still make lists, but um, there was a kind of fear involved with the emptiness that might pop up at that time. And even now, the the to-do lists somehow keep us validated as if we're doing something important and we're needed in the world. This, The momentum of busyness that this creates, it creates an illusion that the more you do, the more you'll get out of life. And that's where it's at. The happier you'll be if you're really out there engaged. The problem is, as I'm sure you know, is that you can never produce enough. You never get to the point where you just say, ah, I've accomplished all I need to for this lifetime. I'll just relax and take a break for a while. If you're in that mode, there's no such thing. the extreme of this is the case of workaholics whose whole quality of feeling alive depends on pushing the envelope. That's how they they fear their, feel their vitality. And the thought of not being at that at edge is quite scary. So the paradox is that The way we can feel most alive, the, the way we can really connect with life, be alive, be really alive, is when we're fully just being here. When we can rest completely in this moment to feel ourselves alive. Otherwise we're too busy, preoccupied to even acknowledge that reality in the uh, the third zen patriarch which I'll read to read from a few times tonight the way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess when we can really come to terms with that understanding We don't need to squeeze more out of the moment to make ourselves feel alive. This habit of doing, this momentum, it creates an illusion also that will just be when we finish our list... You know, when we finally get it done, then we can have time to just be. And it's down there. You know it is just at the end of that last item. And in the process, we miss out on our lives and on our relationships. Raising children, I I have a a son, and it's amazing how fast these four and a half years have gone. You know, and one of the things that reminds me that's a, a great motivation to come back to being here is not to miss out on on this childhood. And actually, kids are great for coming into the moment, as, as we know. But why miss out on our life? It'll be too late to enjoy it when, when it's passed us by because we're so busy. So this this habit of doing... Often carries over to the meditation process. And it gives rise to another paradox. And that is that doing the meditation, doing the meditation, it requires real commitment, real intention, and a lot of effort. It's not so easy to just be here, you might have noticed. To be here, and when you've seen your, yourself wander, to bring yourself back, it takes an, a whole lot of care and commitment. And at the same time, to truly rest in the moment requires letting go of all effort. So it can get confusing. Different teachers and um, styles of practice emphasize different aspects of effort. In the Buddhist teachings, it's the most mentioned mental factor because mindfulness rarely happens without it. It doesn't happen by itself. Well, just if I sit here, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. You probably will not be. And some, some teachers, like the Buddha himself, his last words, strive on diligently. And he, he talked about this sense of urgency of using this precious time. The, the image of most people playing in the world as if they were little children in the, the attic of a house that's burning, not realizing this opportunity passing them by, not realizing that if they don't make use of their time, they will be creating more suffering for themselves. Another teacher talked about practicing like your hair is on fire. Now that'll get people going. Or in the Tibetan teachings, talk about the preciousness of of the human rebirth And all sorts of elaborate descriptions of the hell realms that one would go to if you're not cultivating wisdom and compassion for eons in freezing cold realms or in boiling hot realms. When I I sat with Upandita, this this teacher that uh, we've all sat with, I remember him saying, Abandon all concern for the body. Heroic effort. You know. Your knee hurts. Sit until it falls off. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be the, the message that one would hear. And actually, I I know how to practice that way. You know. And there's a great deal to be said for for that complete commitment, for that intention in my own practice. When I've thrown myself... Into the practice that way, there's been tremendous energy and a tremendous momentum of mindfulness that has um, that has opened up and um, been very wonderful and powerful. But there are skillful ways to do that and unskillful ways to do that. On the other side, you hear some messages from other teachers or other traditions. No effort even no meditation at times. And in the Theravadan tradition, there's teachers in, in Southeast Asia, nothing to do, no one to be, nothing to have. You don't need to attain anything, don't need to strain. Ajahn Sumedho, who uh, many of you know, is a wonderful teacher who has come to the States uh, a number of times Talking about his own practice and striving, he says, um, Just relax and don't make meditation into a burdensome task for yourself. See it as an opportunity to be peaceful and at ease with the moment. Relax your body and be at peace. You're not battling with the forces of evil you don't have to do anything else just be completely relaxed you've got all you need you've got your breathing you just have to sit here there's nothing difficult to do you need no special abilities you don't even need to be particularly intelligent when you think I can't do it then just recognize that as resistance fear or frustration and then relax in my first years with Ajahn Chah I used to be very serious about meditation sometimes I really got much too grim and solemn about myself. I would lose all sense of humor and just get dead serious, all dried up like an old twig. I would put forth a lot of effort, but it would be so strung up and unpleasant, thinking, I've got to, I'm too lazy. I felt such terrible guilt if I wasn't meditating all the time, a grim, joyless state of mind. So I watched that, meditating on myself as a dried stick. Krishnamurti says, it's the truth which liberates, not our efforts to be free. So when we're, we're fully in the moment, really in the moment, and we can let go of our straining or, or struggling, any movement toward or away from things as they are is a movement of becoming and not being In being, there's no struggle, there's no striving, there's no duality. That quality of simply resting in the moment, you've heard that phrase from time to time, when we can allow ourselves that, it's a natural state, the natural state, we discover who we really are. It's a kind of settling back, receiving the moment as it presents itself, and then just being it. And then the meditation in those, at those times changes from seeing clearly, in which that word seeing implies some duality, someone to see something. It changes from seeing to being. And there's a, a sense of, of life expressing itself through us, or whatever we, we call it. Just, just for a moment, close your eyes for a moment and just sit here without trying to make anything happen, no striving or straining, and just feel yourself alive. Do you feel some sense of rest? Of wonderment? There's a line that I think of a Joni Mitchell song that says, the times I I love you the best are the times you don't even try. It's kind of like that, when for those few moments you can stop trying and just listen... The moment is complete. What else do you need? There's nothing lacking, nothing in excess. It's just... And for a moment, we stop creating the dream and we really wake up. the third Zen Patriarch, it says, uh, For the unified mind in accord with the way all self-centered striving ceases. All is empty, clear, self-illuminating, with no exertion of the mind's power. Here, thought, feeling, knowledge, and imagination are of no value. In this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. The freedom that we're looking for, often so earnestly, is not acquired by adding something. <coughs> it was there all the time. I can remember times when I was a child, I'd get into this, this space. And I just feel myself, kind of, it would be my private joke with the world, how did I get into this body? How did life come together and, and coalesce in this, this form that, that people call me? And I just feel the sense of aliveness and I'd start to get giddy and giggle and it was, it was quite extraordinary and it's taken me years to realize that that was quite enough. So, how to reconcile this paradox of, of doing and being, of effort and no effort? First thing that comes to mind is to see the, the difference between nothing to do that expresses freedom and nothing to do of a lazy mind there's a big difference. Because you can just tell somebody who hasn't come to a meditation retreat, hey, there's nothing to do, and they'll say, hey, that sounds great. You know, that's what I've been saying all along too, and they'll just go along with their, their habits and patterns. When somebody doesn't see clearly, and is that laid back, that they don't give any effort to waking up, They're caught in likes and dislikes. There's constant action and reaction. And if you look carefully, it's doing all the time. There's becoming, there's fixing, there's gaining, there's wanting, there's avoiding. That's very exhausting, and that's how most people live their life. Nothing to do, but everything to fix and uh and acquire the next moment or avoiding this painful moment to go for the next pleasurable one. So there's a different kind of nothing to do. Second thing to, to realize is that in order to just be requires for most of us a very, very deep commitment, as I said in the beginning, as a kind of preparing the mind to let go. And as you put your time in and your care and your uh, commitment the mindfulness starts to reveal things. You get glimpses of the truth, some of the truths that were spoken about last night or on other nights, the truth that everything really is changing. And as you see that more and more and more, you see that there's no point in trying to hold on to experience or trying to get something and acquire it, which is just going to pass away. You start to get glimpses of the selflessness of the process who is it that's doing anyway who am I trying to puff up and get recognized and and feel validated and as the, the mindfulness practice is strengthened there's a certain kind of purity of heart that gets developed with the attentiveness that accesses for moments, those places of just being. Even the people who've, who are talking about nothing to do, they've put in their time. Like Ajahn Sumedho, who uh, is known for his great determination when he was uh, in his early days of practice. He'd sit while swarms of bees were stinging him. You know, just, I'll sit through this he was able to develop a mind that could then let go <clears throat> after you get some medicine i guess so it's not one way or the other ramana maharshi is another another teacher who talks a lot about not making any effort and he talks often the the message comes across no meditation no technique nothing to do this is in an answer to, to a question. How long can the mind stay or be kept in the heart in the state of being? And he says, the period extends by practice. What happens at the end of the period, he's asked, the mind returns to the present normal state. Unity in the heart, the state of being, is replaced by a variety of perceived phenomena. This is called the outgoing mind the heart-going mind is called the resting mind. When one daily practices more and more in this manner, the mind will become extremely pure due to the removal of its defects. And the practice will become so easy that the purified mind will plunge into the heart as soon as the inquiry is commenced. See, the problem is that Being is not so easy to stay in. Perhaps you got a sense of it for those few moments. Probably if the silence lasted for another 10 minutes, you would have wandered all over the map. And so it's so elusive. That's the tricky part. So we need to look at this question of effort. How much should we do so that we can just be? And the key to the whole question of effort is balance, not straining, not being too lazy. The image that's, that's given in the texts is a stringed instrument. If you tighten it too much, you don't get the right pitch. If it's too loose... Again, you don't get the right note, but just the right amount of tension, and you get the desired note. And so, you have to see what will be the appropriate adjustment for where you are. Because we're a dynamic system. We're constantly changing rhythms of energy. And there's no way that you can maintain the energy when you're bright then it changes. In the beginning of a retreat, there's a lot of low energy and you have to really uh, give yourself space to go go through the sleepiness and also keep on revving up the engine. Then as the retreat goes on, sometimes you're full of energy to the point where you need to calm down and, and relax. When we were Sitting with Upandita, the first time we sat, he would ask for you to report on your clearest sitting of the day. And I, for years, had had this idea: oh, all the sittings are equal. You know, some might be pleasant, some might be unpleasant, but no better or worse. And so it took me a little while to get adjusted to this. I go in, report on a sitting, and I give what seemed to be a pretty decent report, but I'd feel so uh, kind of embarrassed by it that I'd usually put a qualifier at the end. But, you know, the other six or seven times, I was just gone. Because you know, I, I didn't feel so honest doing that. And after a while, he said, don't tell me about any of those. Just tell me about your clearest sitting. And after a while, I I kind of got that he knows that that's part of the practice. He wasn't expecting me to, to maintain and, oh, that's where I'm really at all the time. That there are these cycles of up and down and high and low. And it was such a relief not to feel I had to keep things going when they happened to open up to a, to a, a beautiful, delicious place in the practice. So a lot of it is knowing what the adjustment is that's needed. You're feeling tight, then lighten up a bit. You're feeling like the walls are closing in. You go out to do the walking. You see everybody walking around like a snail. Don't worry about it. You might need to go for a natural-paced walk, even to walk out in the desert and get some space. If you're finding yourself doing that five or six times a day, that might be time to come back and be very, very careful and diligent. As for the mo- most part, mindfulness is more vivid and apparent as you're going in, in the uh, in a mode that's easier to see see things, but not all the time. If you're finding you're getting quite lazy, then Rev up your commitment. Whatever it is that motivated you to come here, what was it that brought you here? Was it to be free of suffering? Was it to open your heart? Whatever it was, use that motivation to bring you back here again when you're starting to get a little bit lazy in the practice. So it's just kind of getting a sense. It's kind of like riding a bicycle and seeing what is needed. Something else to keep in mind as far as effort, and that is that we often evaluate or equate our effort with how it looks like things are going, the results of what's happening. Oh, I must be doing well now because I just had a clear sitting. Or I must be doing really lousy now because I was on Pluto for the last hour and that's that's a great misconception of practice a lot of people if you went around the room and asked people what a good yogi looks like you might get a lot of different ideas somebody might say well if i'm not having any feelings or any th- any any stuff if i'm just here with my breath then I'm really doing it well. Somebody else might say, and this has happened in interviews. It's it's not uncommon. Somebody says, you know, I'm just with my breath all the time. You know, I'm I'm just I'm just knowing I'm lifting my foot and putting it down. Nothing really is happening. You know, you hear other people sobbing in in the hall, and you know, you want some kind of breakthrough. Or it might seem that a good Meditator is one who goes slowly, and I know what it's like to go slowly and have my mind just keep on slipping off, you know the looking good label. You know you look good from the outside and it's just a whole different ball game inside. or somebody might feel that. If there's fear coming up, then there's something wrong. When actually, at times in practice, it's a sign that there's uh, there's tremendous depth of understanding of coming to terms with, with some basic realities of life, of suffering, of the insubstantiality. So it's so hard to judge how you're doing by what it looks like. It's impossible. You can let go of that. Even the way that we're mindful, people have ideas and fix them in concepts and then match how they're doing compared to, to those ideas. Often the sense is that if you're really being mindful, there's this microscopic awareness that can feel the hair follicles swing in the breeze as you're watching the in and out. You know, that, that's it. You know, and I, and I've, I've fallen into that one. But that's just one kind of mindfulness, as as was mentioned earlier today. There's different lenses of mindfulness. Sometimes it's microscopic, sometimes it's wide-angle. And you can be totally bewildered and not know what's going on if you put the whole thing into one big package and say, Oh, confusion. Right there, you're mindful again. You're clear. You might be clearly confused, but you're, you're clear about it. And that moment of mindfulness is just as valid, just as important, just as illuminating as watching the fine details of the breath. So not to get stuck in thinking that mindfulness looks any one way. Something that's been a tremendous help for me around this issue of of effort is seeing that I don't have any control over what's what's happening I don't have control over how concentrated I am you you ever try to do that I'm going to be concentrated this this sitting if it kills me which sometimes it feels like it it will I don't have control over how mindful I am it's elusive the one thing I do have control over is my willingness to be here as best as I can. And when I see I've gone off, to bring myself back. That, I can do. And even while I'm lost in the thought, there's, there's not much I can do about it. I can be gone for five minutes, ten minutes, five seconds. I'm gone, but at some point, I'll remember, oh, meditating. Okay. At that point, there's the opportunity to come back again. That's what effort is about. In a way, effort is not so much from macho meditation, you know, willing it to happen. For me, it's more helpful to think of it as coming from my heart, coming from my sincerity of a willingness to be here. And that can come from faith and from inspiration or trust, you know, just from seeing the value and making a commitment to be here as best I can without straining or striving. It's very helpful as you're doing the practice to balance out that sense of, of diligence with an ease, with a humor. sense of humor is really helpful in this practice if you 've been finding yourself getting really serious, you know, time to to switch things, I'll tell you a, a story from from one retreat. I often have songs going on in my head, you know a jukebox. Some people might relate to it this one one retreat, I had this Bob Dylan song going on from his most depressing period <laughs> <laughs> If you, if you know Bob Dylan's the song Visions of Johanna and it just goes and sometimes the words match your experience and it just goes on and on it was ain't it just like the night to play tricks while we're trying to be so quiet and the next line is we're sitting here stranded though we're all doing our best to deny it, it just <laughs> just on and on and on one week straight I had this going on in my mind and I was getting heavier and heavier and tighter and tighter. Finally, after a week, magically the needle switched to the second verse <clears throat> <laughs> and the line was, oh, little boy lost. He takes himself so seriously and it was like the sky opened up. Oh, that's what's happening. Uh, just... Broke the whole drama in one moment. Too bad it took a week for it, but uh, it was a great lesson. I can remember it you know, 12 years later. On, on that same retreat, another song that was very helpful was uh, the, the, the Jackson Brown song. And you can have a, your little jukebox here. You know the song, Take It Easy? This is, every now and then you get a song that's good to have on the, on the tracks. <laughs> Take It Easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. And I just kept on playing that over. Lighten up while you still can. Just again and again. Oh, it's such a a blessing. Lighten up while you still can. My attitude when I go into retreat, two things to keep in mind. A real full-on commitment and effort and keep it light. Because if that lightness isn't there, it gets very, very difficult. One meditation teacher said practice is one insult after another. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not if you're serious about it, you can get insulted very quickly. You, know, you have to keep your sense of humor about it. And another aspect around effort is patience. Just knowing that everything comes and goes on its own. You don't have to try hard to fix things or make them happen. A lot of times when you're when you're doing the retreat and you somehow jump to the end, you know. Uh, on my first retreat, on the fourth day, I, uh, my first three-month course, the fourth day, I was saying, 11 weeks, 3 days, <laughs> 4 hours and 20 minutes. I'll never make it. You know, fortunately, somebody gave a talk on patience that night And every time I saw myself getting tight and straining, I would just settle back. Okay, what's happening right now? And that sense of spaciousness, of openness, creates uh, a field within which you can do the practice with care and ease. On one retreat, I was doing the walking very, very slow. Sometimes I like to go slow. And I was just going at a snail's pace. It had been for four or five weeks. And it had been going well for a while, but then it just got tighter and tighter and tighter. For a few days this went on. I said, this isn't working. I'm just going to stop being mindful. You know, I felt kind of mischievous. I'm just going to go for an unmindful walk uh, and I hadn't been out of the out of the hall and uh, out of the building in, in a, a couple of weeks. I just put on my boots and my coat and my jacket, and I just was going to try not to be mindful. Okay? And I took this walk. I was going at a very fast pace, much faster than I'd been been in for the previous few weeks. It was the most amazing walk. Left, right, left, right. Hearing, sniffling, laughing, thinking. Left, right, left, right. Cold. For 45 minutes, it was one of the most mindful experiences I've ever had. So you can't tell just what's going on. Again, just keeping it light, keeping it in that sense of balance. There's a place, it seems to me, where effort and no effort meet that in the effort, in the care, in the diligence, you develop qualities that help you let go, like the faith, which leads to effort, which leads to mindfulness, which leads to concentration, which leads to wisdom. And then there's a sense of just being here. And that momentum that comes when the effort is not a strained effort, but just a sincere willingness to keep on coming back to being here. The effort becomes effortless. It's wonderful when it, when it happens that way. And it comes from just throwing yourself into the moment, not expecting anything from the next one. This moment isn't so hard to be with, if you think about it. It's just this moment It's just when we have this idea of the next moment and the next and the next and the next that it starts getting to be too much. Just take it one moment at a time. It's not so bad. When I was on one retreat trying to watch myself get enlightened and kept on beating my head against the wall, I realized that whenever that would be will be here and now. And so I can just throw myself into this moment. And whatever happens besides that, that's not my business. One place where the effort turns into no effort, or one factor that transmutes effort into non-effort, is interest you don't need to try to pay attention to something that's really fascinating for you. you know, Whether it's a good book, you, know, you don't have to be told you should read that book carefully if it's one that you can't put down. Or an example that, that I'll use that many people know this about me, uh, I'm a bit of a sports fan, to put it mildly. I'm a I get excessive at times. <clears throat> when the 49ers are on, nobody has to tell me to watch. I'm just glued to the TV. Okay, for better or worse, I'm not proud of that, but it's just you know part of who I am. When you're interested, think of how you're, you're you are when you're interested in something. It's not an effort to, to pay attention to be here. And the fascinating thing is that the more mindful you are the more effort you put into being mindful again not a straining effort but the more willingness to be here the more the stronger the mindfulness is and the more interesting things are when i was when i was a child i used to look at and sometimes i still do but i did a lot when i was, when I was a kid Light coming through the window, a shaft of light, and I'd look up close and be this whole dance of dust. And I'd look at it for the longest time. Wow, it was my little imaginary world. I would imagine there were all little beings in there. If somebody would ask me what I was doing, and I say, Well, I'm looking at dust, it doesn't sound very interesting. (laughs) But when you can bring that kind of attention, to the fine details of life, everything becomes magical. And when we have these glimpses of the truth, sometimes it's so compelling that we have no choice. We want to see more. And then the practice is, is really very exciting. At other times, you forget how interesting things are and you have to kind of Pretend you're interested, and that's okay. Remember when I was going to um, high school and college? I had this friend, and, and we we both did about the same in high school. We're both fairly fairly smart people, but didn't really work hard. I, you know, I, I didn't want to work hard because, besides not wanting to put all that effort out, if I worked hard and I didn't do well, then it would be a little bit scary. So I just kind of had a pretty decent average, but nothing great, as did he, exactly the same average. We got to college, and this guy just took off, graduated magna cum laude, and just really uh, a great, great scholar. He's a professor now of philosophy. And I said to him, how come, you know, you you've done so well in college. We both had the same kind of habits in in high school and had the same average. And he said, well, you know, I made a, um, a game with myself. Every time I'd sign up for a course that seemed kind of boring, like statistics or organic chemistry or something like that, I'd say to myself, this person teaching has devoted their life to this. They must have found something interesting in this. And I'm going to find out what it is. And so for the first few weeks, I wanted to know what made this so important to this person. And so, and the more I would get into it, the easier the material and the better I'd understand and do. And it worked. Unfortunately, I asked him that at the end of our college career. so <laughs> It didn't help me much. But it has helped me actually in... In these days of pretending, acting as if you're interested, because you know? once you have that possibility, maybe this is interesting, this breath, it gets you here to experience it and you see, well, sometimes hmm, this is pretty interesting. And as we all know, the practice can be quite fascinating. So interest is the key. And... Doing whatever will help create that sense of interest, whether it's in the walking meditation, varying the speeds, or in the sitting, noticing one little detail of the breath that you hadn't noticed before, seeing how quietly you can you can attend to it, or uh, doing a listening meditation and, and seeing if you can hear a bird as it's flying away. You know, just more and more and more care. You can be very playful in the practice. You know, we've given a lot of instructions and, um, and suggestions. They're all suggestions. You, you can't follow all the instructions at, at one time. There's a lot to pick and choose from. And so part of it is developing your own practice, your own sense of what's needed now to be most mindful in the moment and it makes it a much more alive and creative experience. The guideline is, am I present for what's here? Can I allow for it to be here just as it is and wake up to it? As we can understand the power of those moments of just being, it lessens the compulsion to get someplace else, to make something happen other than this moment. So, working with effort, non-effort, doing, being, it's all a balancing act. There's nothing to get. What the effort is is the willingness to be alive and awake right now. And you see that the place where you can be most alive is just this moment right here. So, I'll I'll close with this this passage from Alan Watts, who who says it beautifully. He says, We could say that meditation doesn't have a reason or doesn't have a purpose. In this respect, it's unlike almost all other things that we do, except perhaps making music and dancing. When we make music, we don't do it in order to reach a certain point, such as the end of the composition. If that were the purpose of music, then obviously the fastest players would be the best. Also, when we're dancing, we're not aiming to arrive at a particular place on the floor as in taking a journey. When we dance, the journey itself is the point. As when we play music, the playing itself is the point. And exactly the same is true in meditation. Meditation is the discovery that the point of life is always arrived at in the immediate moment. Therefore, if you meditate for an ulterior motive, that is to say, to improve your mind, to improve your character, to be more efficient in life, you've got your eye on the future and you're not really meditating. The future is a concept. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as tomorrow. There never will be because time is always now. That's one of the things we discover when we stop talking to ourselves and stop thinking. We find there is only a present, only an eternal now. One meditates for no reason at all except for the enjoyment of it. Here I would interpose an essential principle that meditation is fun. It's not something you do as a grim duty. The trouble with religion today is that it is so mixed up with grim duties. You do it because it's good for you. It's a kind of self-punishment. Meditation, when correctly done, has nothing to do with all that. It's a kind of digging the present. It's a kind of delighting with the eternal now. It brings us into a state of peace where we can understand that the point of life, the place where it's at, is simply here and now. So let's sit for a few minutes.